Hey everyone, I'm Andy Petronic, and this is the Whole Life Challenge Podcast. It's the place we talk to exceptional people about the things that make them tick, exploring their life successes, lessons learned, daily habits and secrets, what helped them to get where they are, and how they stay on top of their game. Hey everyone, and welcome back. This is Andy Petronic, another episode of the Whole Life Podcast. I literally just recorded this, and well, I thought I just recorded it, but I forgot to press the record button. <laughs> so this is take two. One of those things you learn in the podcast recording business. Um, we're in week three of the Whole Life Challenge, and it is really going like gangbusters for me. Um, I have been ketogenic now for about two and a half weeks. I've been blood testing consistently for the past week and, uh, finding my ketones are somewhere between 0.5 and two pretty much every day. My blood glucose levels are down somewhere in the 65 to 80 range pretty much every day. And you know, the more I do it, and the more time I spend talking to people who do it and reading websites about people who do a ketogenic diet, which again, for those of you who might not know, is a, it's an experiment I'm running during this eight week whole life challenge. I'm doing it. I did it in conjunction with the whole life challenge because I really didn't think I could. And I really wanted the, the support of the energy of, you know, thousands of people doing the whole life challenge with me to kind of inspire me to, to, to take this step in, okay, you're not eating carbs. You're not going to eat desserts. You're not going to eat rice. You're not going to eat the foods that you think you need and you want all the time. And, um, so far it's been amazingly powerful. And I, what I was going to say is as, as I get into this, I, there really isn't something that I believe as I enter into the next phase of my life. Um, you know, I'm 50 and moving into the next phase and I, and I don't think 50 has anything to do with it. I, I think this is really something that can be started from your twenties, thirties, forties. Um, there really isn't something more important than lowering the glucose levels running around in your bloodstream. And because the glucose levels running in your, around in your bloodstream are the cause for insulin running around in your bloodstream. And when insulin is running around in your bloodstream, it's the start of, or the, um, precursor to a lot of metabolic conditions that are not so good. Diabetes, cancer, um, uh, heart disease, Alzheimer's, dementia, um, now there's not a lot of agreement in the medical community that this is necessarily true, but, um, I've read several books on the topic, most recently one called the obesity code. Um, and, uh, it's just fascinating stuff. It's, it's especially fascinating for me because it flies in the face of things that I've been recommending to people for 20 years in the nutrition department and the nutrition world. And, um, you know, I'm an experiment. I'm an N equals one experiment. And there are quite a few other people out in the world who are N equals one experiments in the ketogenic world. And it does seem to work for more than just weight loss. And I'm feeling great on it. Um, it's challenging, but I 
I feel the payoffs are huge. I also want to, um, you know, given that we're in the third week of the challenge, I want to give a shout out because that's really fun to compare results in the comments of the blogs. Okay. My guest today, my guest today is Dr. Ron Holnick uh, of the University of Santa Monica. He is, he along with his wife, Mary Holnick, Dr. Mary Holnick, are the founders and the principal teachers at the University of Santa Monica, um, and they teach something known as spiritual psychology. Uh, Dr. Holnick, Ron, as I call him in the podcast and as I call him now, um, is my, has been one of my spiritual teachers over the years. I, I went through this program for about two years, uh, gra- graduated from USM with a degree in spiritual psychology. And it was interesting for me because I sitting down on his couch with him in his home was, is not an experience is not, not a quote unquote normal experience that I've had with him. He's been kind of on a pedestal for me, kind of a guru, um, a, he, he's, he's operating, he's buzzing on a different plane than the rest of us. And I look to him as, as a, as a guide, as a teacher, as a leader, as a, you know, not as a, um, I don't know, an, a, a peer. I mean, I know he wouldn't describe it that way, but, um, because he's got an amazing way of you're immediately comfortable with Ron when talking with him. But uh, I wanted to have him on the podcast to talk about spirituality, like modern day spirituality. This is not a religious conversation. This is about um, all of our curriculum here on earth. What are we here for? Why are we here? What are we doing here? What, what is our objective? What, why bother doing this stuff? Um, and, and how can we go through this in, in a less, I say, okay, less upset manner, you know, like how do we, how, how can we be more loving to more people? And, um, Ron is a master of this and, and, and he's masterful at describing what it is he does, what is spiritual psychology, the difference between spiritual, spiritual psychology and psychology. Um, in fact, I love the description and the story he tells right at the beginning of the podcast. It is a really, really in, intriguing conversation uh, about you know, self-forgiveness and a lot of the other tools that Ron teaches at the University of Santa Monica. So I'm going to stop talking now and get out of the way. Please uh, listen, listen intently. You'll learn a lot from this podcast. Let it sink in. It's, it's deep stuff and stuff that might require some thinking, maybe even some stopping of the podcast to think about what, what, what just happened. What did he just say? Um, even though it's a uh, long, it's a longish podcast. It's about 90 minutes. So, um, enjoy and, um, we'll see you next week. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Ron Holnick. So Dr. Ron Holnick, welcome to the whole life podcast. Um, so, you know, I thought it would be good to start to give people an idea of who you are in the world to share with folks a little bit of your, of the, the, the question that I, that I just overheard you saying that, could lead to many wormholes is, so what do you do? What do I do? <laughs> I am a teacher of spiritual psychology. 
I'm waiting for the next part. <laughs> well, yeah. and when I when I when I talk to people about that who have who have no idea, I usually start out by suggesting that they go to the dictionary and look up the word psyche. Mm-hmm. And what they'll find is they'll they'll find several words, but the the word itself or words similar set to soul will be there. So psyche is really another word for soul. And if you then go and look up the word psychology, what you're going to find is the study of or the science of mind and behavior. So somehow uh, psychology, which my first teacher used to tell me was inspired onto the planet because humanity forgot why it was here. So psychology would be the study of uh, the soul, the spirit, the inner uh, sense of a person's essence. But if you think about it, and I can understand totally why it would go the other way, you can't really study that scientifically in the way that science is done uh, either in physical world reality or in the dimensions of the mind and the emotions. There, There's no way you can measure spirit, you can get at it, and so they tend to go toward things that they can, that they can measure more, more accurately. So I could understand how it would go that way. Everybody can experience their mind. They certainly experience their feelings. They experience their behavior. But if you start to question about their soul, uh, very often you get raised eyebrows. What do you mean by that? Right. So spiritual psychology is actually redundant. But right. it's our effort to bring it back uh, because we know so much more now than we knew back uh, at the beginning of psychology. Uh, although there have been some psychologists who have been on to it. So really that's what it is. It's, the, it's really the, the study and um, it's more than just the study of, as you well know, the practical application, the utilization of the awareness of one's self as a divine being, first and foremost, who is here on this planet for a particular reason that really is a spiritual reason. The reason I wanted to have you on the, on the podcast is this idea of spiritual practice is so, is, like you said, is so elusive. Um, people have it connected to religion, um, well, that's one area, but then they, they also have it dropped out of a lot of the other practices in their life. Like, especially when it comes to the areas that we focus on in the whole life challenge, food and exercise and body and mindfulness in their life. There's a, there's a, for a lot of people, there's a void of, that's my experience anyway. You're very accurate. The reason that that comes about is because from the moment that we're born, we are trained uh, to see in a particular way, to make sense out of experience in a particular way. And that way that um, the vast number of people on this planet deal with things, it's not a bad thing or a wrong thing, it's just the way that we do it, is that we look outside 
and we try to affect things that are going on out there. Mm-hmm. And, we, and we reason that if this particular thing or that particular thing that I want happens, that's a good thing, and I define that as a good thing, and my feelings will be happy. And if that which I define as a bad thing, then my, I'm going to have unhappy feelings when that thing happens. And so we're very out there focused and we make sense in terms of what we experience out there in what many people call the real world. Mm-hmm. I love it when people in class say, wow, I can't wait to try this out in the real world. As opposed to where we are. This yeah. is not the real yeah. world. <laughs> yeah. Right. Now, if you look at from another perspective, if I were to ask you, well, any, anything that you experience, where do you actually have the experience? Well, you never have it out there. You experience it somewhere inside of yourself. Mm-hmm. So something happens and then you are observing this thing that happens and then instantaneously or almost instantaneously, what you do is you divide it into the right category or the wrong category, the good category or the bad category, the right. good category, the evil category, depending upon how you were taught growing up. And your feelings will then match. Mm-hmm. Hardly anybody gets trained or gets brought up and are taught that when things happen, all you really need to do is observe them. Right. And you don't have to have uh, an, an uh, you don't have to make this leap where you automatically categorize it one way or the other, whatever the thing is. You can just observe it. And then you can simply decide on the basis of your values what it is you want to support and what it is that you would prefer not to support. And it, and it really ends there. Uh, I'll give you an example, because what's very hot these days, of course, is the recent election. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was amazing to me to see how upset so many people got. And, and if you asked many of those people, do they favor peace or war, they would they would tell you, 99% of them, well, we, I favor peace. I want peace. That's the problem with this guy as president. We're likely to have more war. And they're very angry about that. And then I say to them, uh, well, it sounds to me like you're very angry about this. And they say, you're darn right. I'm very angry about this. And I'm saying, and, and there's disturbance going on inside of you. Yes, there, there very much is. So... And then I say, would you call the place that you're in um, a loving, happy place or, uh, or not? You know, and they go, well, not. You know, this is, there's nothing here to be happy about. I say, so you favor war over peace? And they go, what are you talking about? I just said I favor peace over war. And I said, well, then why would you behave in a way that was warlike rather than peaceful? if you didn't favor war over peace. And that generally stops them for a little bit at least until they tried out all their reasons, to every one of which I say, well, there you go again. You're favoring war 
over peace. And my my favorite example of uh, of not doing it that way is Julia Butterfly Hill, who we we talked about in class, I think, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Who was this woman who climbed up these two hundred foot uh, uh, sequoia evergreens oh, right. in uh, right. in uh, in California? Because the logging companies were going to cut down a 30-acre uh, trove of these incredible trees, and this was not okay with her. And so what Julia did was she just climbed up in these trees and notified all the press that she was doing that, so they came with all these camera trucks and whatnot and recorded this. And the logging companies said, well, you know, okay, so we'll take some bad press, and she'll, you know, how long can she stay up there? <laughs> well, she stayed up there for two years, and uh, you know, and finally, the the negative press against the logging companies was so bad that the logging companies, uh, you know, said, you know what, let's 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 do this. Let's uh, tell her that we're going to protect this thirty-acre grove as a national forest. Please come down. Wow, which she did. So she comes down, and here's all the media people, and they thrust a mic in front of her. Uh, How did you get the courage to go against the logging companies? And she said, what are you talking about? I'm not against the logging companies. I have nothing against any logging companies. I didn't do this because I have something against the logging companies. I, I did this because I love the trees. Right. And she had absolutely no against this against the logging companies. She just took the action out of her sense of love and never did she waver from that position. Hmm. So we have a choice in these matters, but in the way we were brought up and the way we were conditioned, we don't realize that. See, something happens, it's either right or wrong or good or bad. And of course, how many times have you heard us do the Rumi quote, out beyond ideas of right doing and wrong doing, there is a field, I'll meet you there. So we like to think of our classes at USM, as you well know, as we're all going out into Rumi's field and we're going to grow together and we're going to share that place out beyond ideas of right doing and wrongdoing. So would you say that a spiritual practice is about moving toward um, um, inner neutrality? I would say that Once you catch on to the idea of inner neutrality, uh, it is wise to move in that direction, and that practice is called acceptance. Mm -hmm. So the more you can move into acceptance, um, the more you will grow spiritually, the more you will climb spiritually. However... When we get into spiritual psychology, uh, you know, and, and that moving into acceptance is a lot about what mindfulness and meditation are all about, going to that uh, still place inside. Mm-hmm. But if you maintain in your consciousness these ideas of the right and wrong of things, that is only going to take you so far. Because as soon as something happens out in the world, or in your own inner world for that matter, uh, your, your, your family, let's say, or your job, or your kids, or whatever, that is something that is you have in this category of wrong or bad, 
it's going to tend to trigger the disturbance inside of you. Mm-hmm. So I, it's, it's not going to be an easy job to just get there if one is only doing mindfulness. Right. So right. we say, well, look, we have, we have realized that we have a technology here where while you're doing that, while you're working on that, and you know from your own experience, we do that largely through spending, uh, I mean, you spend hours every weekend working on learning to be more accepting. Right. Every time you went into the neutral observer chair, mm-hmm. that's really acceptance training. Right. But we don't call it that in the class, but that's, that's what it is. Yep. But in addition to that, are there ways that we can, that we can learn how to be non-reactive, how that we can understand what Rumi was saying, nothing's either, oh, this was Shakespeare, nothing's either right nor wrong, but thinking makes it so. Mm-hmm. So if we can start seeing things in the way spirit sees it, which is simply what is, and um, it responds from that place. And our teaching says that all that really exists in, re- in, in the real reality is love. Everything is just composed of love. Every religion, every uh, uh, spiritual teaching that, from my point of view, has been out there and referred to over the years, has that same message. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about religions, all religions really have that same... If you go back to the inception of it, the person who was the one who put it forth, yep, you'll find that's what they were saying. You know, They were just saying, go toward the loving place, and where is it? It's inside of you. Right. You know, Jesus, for example... Uh, he said, the kingdom of heaven is within. The kingdom of heaven, meaning that place of loving and enlightenment, is within you. And he also said, it's at hand. So, you know, people who are waiting for him to come back, I'm not sure uh, why, because it's here. He never left. It's, it's still here. So through experience over the last 36 years, We've been assisting people at proving that to themselves experientially. And you've seen for yourself probably hundreds of people uh, in the two years that you were in the program, they just go into an uplifted place. And when they talk from that place, you easily can recognize at any time that someone goes into that place and starts talking from it. They have a whole different quality to what they're experiencing in that moment. I think one of the important things you brought up is the difficulty in staying there in, in, in getting, you can get there, you can see it, but it's like a slippery fish, you know, and, and all of a sudden whoop, it's gone and you're back to judging and reacting and being upset by, you know, your kids, your spouse, your, yeah. your, the events of life, the politics, the, you know, um, this is this is why we have the program going on over time. Uh, you know, I I get a kick out of it. People say, "I took that program," and you know, I'm I'm likely to say, "Oh, I see. Well, that must be really great that you never get upset anymore." <laughs> That's right. 
right? Because right. you know you've you've got the technology working for you so well yep. that when that starts to happen, you immediately go, "Oh, here, here comes an upset." Let me look in here and see uh, what's what's upset. What's the what's the pattern? What's it upset about? What's the what's the definition of reality it has that mm-hmm. it's holding on to? And let me let me let go of it. You know. And it's great to know that you do that every minute of every day and no one needs to remind you. (laughs) (laughs) And what's the response? Well, they, they, uh, they just kind of get this funny look on their face. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I know what, I know what that's like. Yeah. Um, Me too. My wife reminds me of all my training and how I shouldn't be getting upset. She's very good. She's (laughs) really, really good. Yeah. how how much money and how many hours did you spend training and you're still mad at me? <laughs> Jesus. What are you going to do? You know? Um it's a very hard it's a very hard concept to start to get your head around that no matter what happens remaining neutral and accepting it. You know, the scenarios that immediately come up for me and for, I'm sure others, you know, murder or rape or, you know, some of the horrible things that go on in the world that, that, um, mean, war and remaining neutral seems, well, I mean, I, I can, it's elusive. It's very elusive. And, and by the way, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean don't take action. It just means uh, let go of the againstness. Hmm. I mean, if someone is breaking into my home, if someone's breaking into my home, uh, I am very likely going to. Uh, well, I keep a golf club in my. Uh, I figure that's a good a weapon as any. Sure. You know, but I won't. I wouldn't hesitate to use it on an intruder in my home. At least that's what I think. Right. I just don't have to judge them for it. I can understand that this is a person who's desperate, or this is a person who uh, isn't particularly enlightened, or this is a person who's having a really hard time in their life, and you know, this is what they know how to do. You know, and. And I can understand, I can have a lot of compassion for them, but don't do it in my house. Right. Because if you do, uh, you may, you may run into a very irate guy. Right. So uh, people want to march, they want to protest, they want to do all those things. Great. March with love. Do what Julia Butterfly Hill did. Hmm. Climb the trees with, with, from a place of loving. Right. Right. And some of the marches that we had, uh, they made that point. I thought uh, there was a woman's march. I forget where it was. And a lot of our students were involved in that. And they saw their job was to go and maintain the loving energy of the march as best as they could. And I, I said, great, go for it. I think that's fabulous. So when it comes to taking this practice inside, uh, well, Obviously, all this practice is inside. But when it, when it comes to addressing elements of your health and well-being, specifically, you know, your diet, like one of the questions that comes up regularly around diet, you know, people, <clears throat> especially people that have tried 
17 different diets and nothing seems to be working. Um, and they do them to perfection. You know, they, all the numbers are correct. All their macros are correct. All their guidelines around calories are correct. And still nothing's, it doesn't seem to work for them. If uh, someone like that came to me, let's say for coaching, mm-hmm. I would immediately start asking them questions about their own sense of self-worth and their own sense of self-value. Because if you, <clears throat> if you have a healthy sense of self-worth and you do all the things, I would suspect that that weight would start to go down or that uh, whatever the thing is that you were doing. Sure. But if inside of you, deep down so somewhere, you perceive yourself as a basically inherently unworthy person, and unfortunately, a lot of religious teach, teachings support that notion. Right. I, can, I could understand why you are going to have a much harder time being successful. Because to the degree you're successful, that flies in the face of that programming about unworthiness. Unworthy people don't deserve to be successful. I had a guy in my office just last week who was a surgeon. <clears throat> and he came from a country uh, and grew up in a religion that said that uh, humility was a, was a very, very high value. And so when people came to him Perspective uh, patients came to him, and they would they would ask him things like, "Well, you know, uh, are you really an excellent surgeon? I mean, do you excel at this? I mean, you know." And he said, "I found myself saying, uh, well, I'm no better or worse than anyone else.'" <laughs> uh oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And he couldn't understand why his practice was languishing. Right. He said, now, it's finally dawning on me that, that me being humble doesn't mean that I can't excel at what I do. Right. And that was, uh, and of course, I, I uh, reinforced that idea mm-hmm. along with a bunch of others. And, uh, but this, you could tell, this sh- like shook up his entire uh, inner sense and what an awful lot of people well let's just say a lot of people uh they will hold on to their position um regardless you know it's like they're so tied to it stuck on it another one of my favorite quotes i forget who this one was but um he said um if faced with the decision to change what people are doing or prove why why they are doing is a good thing, most people will get busy with the proof, even though what they're doing isn't working for them. Hmm. Hmm. We, get, we get stuck because it's, our position uh, is coupled with our, uh, our ego's sense of importance. And so it it can be challenging. Um, 
I would always I would always be doing my best in anything I was doing, certainly the kind of thing that that you're involved with, is finding ways to for people to claim their own empowerment, claim their own worth and value. Because the more they really can claim their worth and value, the more likely they're going to be to succeed in what you're doing. You, you've seen me do this uh, demonstration in class where we work with kinesiology or muscle testing. Yeah, right. And I'll, I'll uh, have someone and I'll say, hold out your arm. And I'll say, just hold it. You know, just hold it. Resist my downward pull. And they, And most people can resist pretty well. I mean, I'd have to really... Uh, practically hang from their arm to pull it down. And then I say, okay, put your arm down. Now, I want you to think about uh, something or somebody that really disturbs you. And keep that thought going in your head and tell me when you really got it going. You know, and it takes, you know, usually about 10, 15 seconds. And they say, okay, I really got it going. So keep that thought going and hold out your arm and resist. And I could I could pull her arm down with one finger, mm -hmm. with my pinky finger. You've I have seen, done it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we we did it, and I was shocked. I mean, I. It so you seems, know what I'm talking it, about? Yeah, and I hear you. Say, I hear you repeating the story, and I haven't really thought about it since that no. day in class. And then and it, I it, say, it, it to no. me seemed what you were telling me seemed ludicrous. <laughs> like. <laughs> like what, where am I and why am I going to a school yeah. where the instructor is telling me to do something that obviously won't work? Right. That is the most ludicrous thing I've ever seen. I mean, it, it was, I was filled and even watching, I thought, okay, the person's in on it. They're doing it because you, you had someone come up in front of, yeah. in front of class to yeah. do it. And then I did it and <laughs> I was just blown away. Yeah. And then, if you remember, I said, now think of something or someone that you really love. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a place in nature. Maybe it's a spouse. Whatever really brings you uh, love that really ignites that place inside. Maybe it's a beautiful place that you like to go and just sit and meditate. Think of that. And now run that thought in your mind. And let me know when you have it going. And then they say, okay, I've got it going. And I say, hold that charm, resist. And they're at least as strong as they were when they started. And, yeah. and at least to me, even stronger. Now, see, how could that be if what you're holding inside doesn't influence your entire physiology? Right. So it's no mistake to me, for example, that... Uh, People who heal the most easily are people that have the highest levels of self-esteem. I don't know if there are any studies that have been done to back that up. I, have a, I think there are. And people who have the, uh, these terrible senses of self, low self-worth and things, they're going to probably take the longest to heal. Hmm. Uh, I know for myself, I had triple bypass surgery. And... Uh, you know, here I am going on eight years later <laughs> and I'm probably <clears throat> in better condition than I was even before I had the surgery, mm -hmm. you know, because uh, my attitude was such that, you know, and Mary would tell you this if you asked her, she never once heard me say one negative thing about the, the entire process or the recovery. 
So the inside of me, it was always, oh, well, uh, whatever this is, and who am I to say, really? I, I don't see in that kind of a way. I'm not a seer in that, mm-hmm. in that sense. But to my way of thinking, since the nature of God or spirit or divinity or intelligent design or whatever name you would want to use for it is love, then so is this. I just don't understand in what way. But just because I don't understand it doesn't mean I can't operate as if it was so. Because just like I can't prove that it's so, you can't prove it's not so. Right. And so I'm going to go with the thing that works. Right. And so that's been, that's been my sense of it. So in, in your work with people, I would just have a, a strong segment in there that had to do with affirming their worth and value. So if somebody listening to the podcast um, is hearing you say this, first of all, they can try that experiment. Absolutely. They can do it with their spouse. They can do it with their kids. Their kids would love it. My son would love to hang off my arm. (laughs) Um, um, And I encourage you guys out there to try try it. It's it's mind-blowing. It's absolutely – and this is from – a massive skeptic. Like I, <laughs> there's no way I wanted that to work. Uh, I would actually love to have invented a way to be the, the exception. Um, and I couldn't, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. So, uh, you can try that, but how, how do you start people in, in becoming, in developing that, that self-worth that, um, going back um, starting down that road. I mean, besides reading, I mean, you, by the way, you and your wife, Mary, have written two books on the subject. Two so books those are on great the subject. places to start. Um, the first one was Loyalty to Your Soul, The Heart of Spiritual Psychology, which I think came out about five years ago, something like that. Uh, that's done very well. It's sold 25,000 books so far in uh, eight languages. 25,000? Yeah. I think more. I think more than 25,000. No, I think, well, whatever. Some. I may add a couple zeros to that. Some, <laughs> some, some large number, it seems to me. Large number. Large number. Uh, just most recently, it was translated into simplified Chinese. Wow. Which to me is a trip because I look at the thing and I go, what the hell is this? Right. But then the recent book that was just launched uh, probably a month ago, less than a month ago, is Remembering the Light Within. A Course in Soul-Centered Living. And the way that we wrote that, and Mary really was the primary writer of it, um, and it came about in an interesting way. She got this idea of doing something called 33 Days of Awakening. Mm -hmm. And she wrote that, and um, we were talking about it because it uh, it was just just an interesting thing to talk about. We are having dinner one day with... uh, Agape and Ariana Huffington, who we, we've known for a long time, and Agape is a grad. And Ariana said, that sounds like a wonderful thing. I'd love to get that in the Huff Post to a certain segment of our readership. And we said, well, fine. So Agape came over and they worked on it and they did this thing called 33 Days of Awakening that got into the Huffington Post. Well, in practically no time, it had over 20,000 uh, responses wow. in a, from 138 countries. Wow. So we said, well, hmm, uh, 
maybe we should go toward turning that to, into a book. So we, Mary contacted Reed Tracy, who's the CEO of Hay House, because they published uh, Loyalty to Your Soul and asked him if he liked the idea. And he said, oh, it sounds like a great idea. Let's do it. And so off we went. Mm -hmm. The biggest feedback we got from the 33 days is it's too rich. Right. You can't do this stuff one day at a time. It's right. too, it goes right. too deep. I mean, you know, spread it out a little. And so we got the idea, well, let's spread it out. So maybe we'll do uh, uh, 33 weeks. So we started on that track. And then it started to shrink down somewhat, just by the way that we were setting it up for a week at a time. Mm -hmm. And slowly but surely, we came around to the idea, well, gosh, if people were to do one chapter every two weeks and we put it out in 26 weeks, then it would be a year-long right, course right. that someone could take. And I would uh, defy anybody to do one chapter a week for two weeks and not have their life change dramatically for the better. It just seems to have that effect on people. Yeah, one of the things I like about the new book is the, uh, the simple, the simplicity and shortness of each chapter. Yeah. You know, it yeah. takes 10 minutes <clears throat> to read the chapter, the exercise at the end, typically <clears throat> there's an exercise. There's, there is not typically, there is an exercise that goes. There always, one. there always yeah. is a practice at the end and, and uh, an intention. Then those, those are relatively, well, they can be long. It, it, it depends on what's going on inside. That's right. Um, but <clears throat> uh, they're very simple. They're very simple. They're simple to understand and simple to do. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we worked on that. So what what is some what is something you can tell someone who heard what you, we were talking about unworthiness or you know something's not working for them where where's a place to start if they're not well, picking up your book and reading the the first the first thing and this to me is the major teaching in spiritual psychology the place that you can get the most leverage if you will allow yourself to consider this possibility and that is that your innermost nature, regardless of anything that you've heard growing up, your innermost nature is that you essentially are a loving being. That is your essence. Mm -hmm. It would be like uh, the essence of, an, of the ocean is water. Okay. It's, it's, it's that organic. Not only that, but the nature of that essence is love. So we're living in a creation that is essentially a creation made up in such a way that everything is made up of that same stuff, that same loving energy. And by the way, uh, um, physics is starting into grapple with this because when they get down beneath quantum physics, everything disappears into waves of energy that randomly come and go, and the only constant is the observer watching it. Right. So we're kind of like that. We're like the observer watching everything. And our essence is that of love. So no matter what you've done, no matter how terrible it may seem in terms of uh, the rules of this level, from the spiritual perspective, it's all love. It's all love. 
So what are you telling me that even a war, that a war is made up of loving people, basically? Yes, it is. It's made up of loving people who don't know they're loving. Right. We say it this way. Uh, we've gone into a theater and gotten lost in the movie. Hmm. And that movie happened to be about war. But we're sitting in the theater watching. Right. And Or we may even be up there participating in our mind or our... Or, but back someplace is the observer just watching it all. And as I said earlier, this is a basic tenet of every spiritual teaching that if you go deeply into it, that's what, that's what you'll find. How is it that we get discombobulated? You know, where, <clears throat> when does that happen and why? And, um, well, let's think about that for a minute because that's a great question. So why, why, come, why come into this school in the first place? Why register for this terrible place? Right, you know? exactly. Why? I don't want to be here doing yeah, that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, and there are a fair amount of people that, that come to that conclusion, and some of those people we call suicidal hmm. or having done it. You know? mm -hmm. So my first teacher used to say, because she could see into those inner realms, she would say, you have no idea how hard souls are working to get into this school. To get into which school? To get the one into we're in? the earth school. Here's why. Hmm. If everything is love and you're aware of it, there's not much that you're going to learn if you already know that. Okay. So let's say that uh, what you're wanting to do is having, is have the full range of experience of existence that's possible. So how could you experience a sense, uh, let's say you go into a room, you turn on a light. How could you experience the light in that room if there also wasn't the experience of dark? Yeah, you couldn't. You couldn't. <clears throat> and really, there's no such thing as dark. We don't measure dark. Mm -hmm. All you can measure are degrees of light. But we have a word, dark, that we made up so that we could talk about the other extreme mm -hmm. just for conversational purposes. But there's really no such thing. The thing is light. Right. Similarly, uh, there's no such thing as cold. Right. There's just degrees of heat. Hmm. So we have things called thermometers. We measure degrees of heat. Mm -hmm. In exactly that, that same way, if you want to measure, uh, if the only thing that exists is love, but in order to experience, to have the experience in physical world reality, there has to be the the gradient going on down into less and less and less love. Right. We call right. that evil. Or we call that wrong, or we call that bad, or we call that all the names that we call it. Now, in terms of this earth school, that, that, there's accuracy in that, if that's our frame of reference. 
But if you're looking at it from the spiritual frame of reference, from from up above where you know that the nature of uh, spirit is love and that's all that exists, then you look down and you see the war going on, you go, wow, there's a group of people who they've got their light switch turned way, 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 way down. Mm -hmm. And they don't know it. And so they're behaving in ways that are demonstrating low levels of light mm -hmm. so that they can learn that that's not a particularly pleasant experience. Hmm. That when you dampen your light switch, you start having experiences that uh, they may be valuable because you then get to know what that's like, but you don't want to live there. Right. And nor will we. Eventually, we wake up. Couldn't you take this to the other extreme, though, and say, well, then nothing matters? Nothing, you know, okay, great. Might as well go out and shoot some people and... In and, this world. Uh, in this world, yeah. Well, in a very real way, that's true. Nothing matters, but nothing matters means in terms of uh, your spiritual awareness. Everything okay. that you do here matters in this world, and... If you behave in ways that are unloving, if you're down here and you behave in ways that are unloving, <clears throat> those things are against your loving nature. Right. Because right. a loving person wouldn't do that. And so now we're harming other people. And so the spiritual, uh, in the spiritual context, that process is what's called creating karma. Okay. And so we, we uh, behave in ways that are not representative of the fullness of who we are. And because we've done that here, we now have to work to let that go. And so this is why we speak of Earth as a school. Mm. And we're all here having curriculum. Hmm. So in what religion would call salvation, th there's an accuracy to that. So what it's really saying is you got to clear up your own thinking so that you, you've take, it's like you've become infected by that which you participated in. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like we came down here and got measles. You know, well, you have to, you have to clear that, you know, while you're here because you can't, I mean, you get the sense of what I'm saying. Yeah. It's a yeah. balancing. It's, it's, not, it's not looked at as bad in spirit because there is no such thing. There's only loving. If the thing is really all about loving, all we really need to do is give up that which we hold inside as less than loving. So if I see myself as an unworthy person, that's holding a definition of myself as less than loving. Yes, yes. And I, that's got to go. <clears throat> it's got to go. And so, so this you really is can what... start with just stuff on yourself. Absolutely. Because like it's not even, kind of like what you said when we first started talking about Trump and the, the upset that it caused and be believing you're, you're at war inside, you, you know, but, but when you're upset. That's right. I believe in war more than That's right. peace. That's right. So this whole thing starts with the energy that occurs inside yeah. your own... That's right. Because as we said in the beginning, 
your actual experience is always going on inside. Right. So if you have it inside that you are worthy, you are ten. You are going to tend to be more ill and less healthy. Right. By and large. Now, I'm obviously not talking about every case and every person, mm -hmm. because we don't know what the spiritual curriculum is of somebody onto the planet. Right. Um, you know, I like to tell the story of, um, in the early days, I was walking with my first teacher uh, into a hospital to visit someone. We were in the street walking toward the hospital, and she was very clairvoyant. I mean, she really could read people's energy, and she had access to the, to the, uh, she could uh, describe what they were feeling. Hmm. And so you couldn't hide anything from her. Right, right. So we're walking toward the hospital, and coming towards us is a woman wheeling a wheelchair. And in the wheelchair is a young man who's sitting there with his arms and legs crossed, and he's twitching and making sounds and not very aware of what's, of what's going on outside. I forget what they call that unless there's a name for it. And so we get past them, and she turns to me, and she says, You know, Ron, uh, you really don't need to feel sorry for that young man. You know, she saw inside. I was going, oh, my God, look at that. Isn't that terrible? Right. You know, and she said, you don't really need to feel sorry for that young man. She said, that which he's experiencing is the last piece of the unlearned lessons that he came here to learn. Hmm. And... And he will learn it simply by enduring. Wow. It's not about healing it. Right. It's about simply enduring. Experiencing. Experiencing enduring. for right. a certain period of time and then it will he's just be he's released and he will he will die. And then she said the most extraordinary thing. She said, He knows that. He is delirious. <laughs> <laughs> In, in happiness? Yeah. Deliriously she, happy. Yes. He is deliriously <laughs> happy because he knows all he has to do is sit there right. and be fed and go to the bathroom. And who's going to do anything to him sitting in a chair that way? Right. And then off the planet, he's going to go never to come back again. He's done. <laughs> and so if we look at things like we would say, well, what a terrible thing is going on for that. You know, uh, this is the... You know, anything that any human being is going through that we would say that's terrible. We, if we realize that from the spiritual perspective, it's not terrible at all. It's just the method that we're using to learn certain things so that we can get the lesson that we're here to learn. Is it, is it helpful to reframe things that, that you see in the world that are going on with whether, whether it's with you or your kids or your spouse, um, in, in ways that, you know, somebody cuts you off in traffic and your first reaction is that asshole, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to yeah. get him. Is, is it useful to reframe that in a, in a more, in a way that paints a, you know, could be a completely made up picture, but maybe that guy's on the way to the hospital because his, you know, Ab wife's having a heart attack. Or Absolutely. Something. When someone cuts me off in traffic, <clears throat> my first reaction, of course, is to slow down. I don't want, I don't want to be anywhere near them, yeah. you know, because that's dangerous. So, uh, you know, so now I'm backed off. 
the first thing I do is send them, I send them loving energy. Because hmm. inside of me, for them to be behaving that way, they either don't understand about uh, the, the, uh, the dangers of driving that way, or they're mindfully driving that way because they love danger or they, uh, I mean, there's a whole variety of reasons. Yep. But some of the other reasons may be uh, that they're late for a business meeting, that's important, uh, that uh, someone just called them because they just got into the hospital and, they, you know, and they're going for that. So we don't really know. Mm -hmm. you know. We just tend to judge them as jerks for doing that. Right. But we don't right. really know. And we don't know that in the same position they're in, we wouldn't do exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. So we don't know. So I do two things. I slow down and I make sure I've got at least four lengths of cars between me and them mm -hmm. in case they do it some more. Yep. I don't judge them. And if I do, I immediately work with what we call compassionate self-forgiveness. I forgive myself for judging that person as a jerk, as a whatever I'm judging them for. Because if I judge them, now I've just, I've just created a piece of negative energy and I've stored it inside of my own uh, energy system. And, and it hurts you. It so hurts you're the me. One, you're the one I'm that the one that, Exactly. All right. Exactly. I don't know that they feel it or not. Maybe they do. You know, and I'm just making their day worse. Right. But I don't want to do that either. Right. So if I do any judging, I immediately get busy with self-forgiveness. And self-forgiveness, uh, in a sense, is like a cosmic eraser. Right. It erases the judgment. Because we have to have that kind of a system. Otherwise, the instant you issued the first judgment you ever issued when you got here, there'd be no way to let go of it. So we have to have a mechanism that allows us to let go of it or else the whole thing makes no sense. I remember when I first learned that concept of compassionate self-forgiveness and I remember being very perplexed by it. It's, it's a subtle but profound tweak on the idea of forgiveness because forgiveness I'd always been taught is I forgive you. There, there was never any context for self forgiveness. Like right. that seemed a little crazy when we, yes. and, 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 and elusive and very difficult to hold on to. And, but it's significant. See, if you, if you do, I forgive them for whatever this thing is, this terrible thing that they did, then you may have let go of a significant portion of the energy, but you will not have let go of all of it because somewhere down deep you're in what we call your ego, you still have a judgment that it was a wrong, stupid, terrible thing. Right. And that is a perspective that is yours. Right. And so what I want to do is I want to let go of the whole perspective because any time that I have a perspective like that, I'm pretending to know the will of God, if you think about it. Right. Now, my way is the right way. How do you know that? Well, it, you know, well, my religion tells me, my uh, first grade teacher told me, my parents told me, my culture tells me, uh, all of that. I mean... Common sense. It, it's just, you know, everybody knows this. <laughs> you know. Right, right. And if you think about it, uh, if you take that to the extreme, 
I mean, if you in in a marriage, it's going to look like uh, a husband and wife, let's say, feuding and not getting along. Mm-hmm. You know, and each making the other wrong. But if you extrapolate that to a international context, it's called war. What's a war? You know, a bunch of people on one side saying uh, we're not happy, and it's those guys over there that are the cause of it. Mm-hmm. And those guys over there are saying we're not happy, and it's you guys who are the cause of it, and and so we go to war. Right. You know, I mean, all we've done is we've increased the sum total of war. Right. But a lot of people don't realize this, but per capita, based on the number of people who are on this planet now, you know, the last 50 years has been the most peaceful time that we've ever had. Hmm. And ever since World War II. Now, that's not to say we're not going to get stupid again, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and and forget why we're here. Mm-hmm. Um, but history doesn't seem to be about that. It seems to be about the evolution, what we call the evolution of consciousness, mm-hmm. where we're getting, we're learning the, the uh, how can I say this? The, the students coming into the school are coming in at a higher level. Hmm. And so uh, in the classes that we teach these days, there seem to always be two, three, maybe four, maybe five students. They're generally between uh, 25 and around 32, I would say. They just know too much. And they know it without having to go through a lot of the things that the rest of us went through to learn this. It's like they mm-hmm. came in with it. Right. And for them, it's even more important that they found USM because they're beginning to to think that they, they're living in some kind of place that makes no sense. Right. Well, to them it doesn't because uh, they're coming in to learn lessons of things like cooperation. Mm-hmm. And... They see uh, a lot of individual striving. But if you think about it, there's a lot more cooperation going on today on this planet that there ever, that ever has been before. Think of all the, the uh, NGOs, the non-governmental organizations that are out there doing good work. In the, there's thousands of them. Mm-hmm. And most of those are people by, by these people who want to come together for what we call the highest good of all concern. There's a collective growth. There's a collective growth. Hmm. Collective growth. And this is why I love what you guys do in that you, you do things in teams or groups. And um, as I understand it, the challenges and things like that, people mm-hmm. get together and they... Uh, I think the getting together part could be part of the most valuable part. The community part, yeah. yeah. yeah there's, a, there's a collective experience that and people they support are willing each other. Yeah, yeah. people are willing to go through more they're more accountable they're more responsible they're more willing to go through difficult periods when they know that there are other people doing it with them exactly and uh there's a shared experience exactly whether it's exactly. in person or not you know we a lot of our challenge takes place online yeah so there's some people that don't ever meet each other don't ever see yeah. each other but they they know that that night they're going to see the reflection of somebody else who's on their team and there's a there's a, a there's a very it's a very soft spoken accountability 
that um, takes place. Well, it's it's very additive because see, it tends to strengthen uh, the muscle that that the loving muscle, let's call it, mm -hmm. and it's like the arm testing. Yep. The stronger your arm is, uh, the the you know the stronger you are. Yep. So in exactly the same way, the more of that kind of support you have, uh, you're more likely to succeed. When we do our large group demos in class, invariably, when and that means we have someone working with a facilitator in front of the class so the class can observe what's going on. And invariably, the person will commit to doing something, to taking some action between now and the next month's class. Mm -hmm. And we always ask them if they would be willing to report back to the group, mm -hmm. one thing. And we almost always uh, ask them if they'd like support. And they say yes. And so what we do is we have a, a spreadsheet out. We make one up. We put it outside the classroom for people to sign. You're signing up. On this particular day, I will call them and just give them words of encouragement. Right. So we want to make sure that every day between now and the class next month is covered. That's cool. And it's a very it's a very powerful thing. Yeah. Just to hear words of encouragement. Just to hear. And some people say, well, I don't always answer the phone. You got an answering machine? Right. right. Just leave a message. Right. Right. They'll know you called. They'll know you called. So, the, you know, everything we're talking about seems very... Um, Well, I know I know this is not true, but I just want to hear your answer. <laughs> it just seems very unrealistic, you know, in the world that we live in to this whole idea that we're all loving. It seems very, you know, like Disneyland. This is not, you know, it's all, you know, unicorns and rainbows and let's all be happy. And it's all we're all loving and it's all, you know, and I mean, the, the questions I have is, First, how do you maintain this? Like, do you struggle with these things personally? And how do you manage this in your life? And is that what you mean? Is it all unicorns and rainbows? And No. Um, see, when we come into this world, we have to learn to play by the rules of this world. So you're not... Uh, I mean, I once knew a guy... Uh, we would do these smaller classes, and his name was Bob. And I knew he didn't have a job and that he was really just being supported by people who, you know, loved him because mm -hmm. he's a very sweet guy. And so we were, we were talking about, uh, I, I forget exactly what it was, but it was this idea about uh, gaining wealth, uh, which for a lot of people is a very big thing on this mm -hmm. planet. Mm -hmm. And so he would say, well, what I do is I sit in a chair and I close my eyes and I meditate and I envision a pot of gold <laughs> on the side of the chair yeah, right. when, I, when I wake up. Yep. And I said, well, uh, Bob, ha have you had success with that approach? And he says, well, not now, not yet, but I, you know, I keep working on it. Mm -hmm. And how long you been doing this? Oh, many years, you know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I said, and I said, well, in the meantime, might you consider getting a job? <laughs> you know, uh -huh. 
So uh, when we're on this level, we have to play by the rules of this level. So when I play Monopoly, I have to go by the rules of the Monopoly game. Yep. You know, buy this many houses, I get this much rent. And mm -hmm. But after a certain period of time, no matter how many hotels I've built and crushed my opponents, you know, at some point in time, the game is over. I've got all the money mm -hmm. or all the wealth, and they're, they're all broke. Yep. See? And that's when the game is over. Now, however... At any time I want, I can declare the game over and get up and walk away. Sure. So down here in this world, we're playing Monopoly insofar as spirit is concerned. Okay. But we don't realize it because if we did, hmm. it would destroy the whole game. Right. So there can't be uh, everybody awakened all at once on this planet right? because it would be stupid to leave heaven to go to heaven. Right, right. So right. In, a, in, a, in, a, in one way, what you're saying is absolutely accurate. This is, it's, it's not airy-fairy. This is, this is known as a, challenge, as a very challenging school, is right. what I've been told right. on, the, you know, on the inner levels. Mm -hmm. This is not an easy place. This is not for the faint of heart souls. Mm -hmm. you know? This is, you know. Yeah. But nevertheless, uh, at some point, usually when we die, you know, we, we lift out from it and we say, oh, I see, that was, just, uh, that was just an experience. But we don't know that until we either have some kind uh, of an awakening on this level and there are people who have, and they wrote about it. Mm -hmm. You know, and there are these, you know, uh, Rumi would be a good example. Mm -hmm. um, uh, there, there's no shortage of them. There's, you know, lots of, lots of, if you read what they have written, they're all saying the same thing. Uh, right. There was a, a book I read. It was called The Essential Unity of All Religions. And that guy really, he really had it nailed. Uh, so we do have, see if we, uh, how can I say this? You know very well from your experience at USM that you have seen uh, life changes going on in no short supply. Sure, yes, very much so. Uh, and to some degree your own. And continuing. And continuing. Yes. So something shifted. Right. It's not like you had to work less or it's not like you had to, uh, you know, breathe less air or, right. you know, I mean, you still have to participate on this level. Right. All that really changes is that you don't take this level as, let's call it seriously as you used to. Right. There are other ways that you have learned to see things. And when you see things in that other way, it makes a difference in your life. Hmm. So if you, t if you think of that as a continuum and you just kept going, you would get into more and more and more what's called higher places mm -hmm. And when you get into those higher places, the attachment to this world becomes less and less and less. Right. 
Right. And it's, and again, uh, well, I don't, I don't want people to think that, um, this is just, well, my experience is there's a certain amount of rigor that, that this kind of work demands tremendous, tremendous amount of rigor. And I, I think it's easy to fall in the trap of kind of like Bob who said he just sat on the couch and was, you know, thinking about that pot of gold next to him, um, thinking it's all loving and I just need to be loving and it'll just happen. And I can tell you from personal experience, that's just BS. (laughs) (laughs) It's, that's not, you know, it's, it's work. It's real work. See, for the great number of us, that's exactly what it is. It's great work. But on the other hand, if you really love what it is that you're working at, you know, is it really work at all? I right. don't feel I'm right. working. Well, I, that was my, that's, you know, one of my next questions is, is how do you put this stuff into practice? Like what are the daily practices you do um, in the morning or in the evening or during the day to keep this? Because one of the things that you always say at school is if you don't use it, you lose it. You know, if you don't, you can go to the school, you can get the degree, but if, if you're not using it, 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 it's it, like, it's a nice memory that, that, uh, oh, I went to that school and, you know, it's even worse. <laughs> <laughs> you don't remember that because, either? <laughs> be, no, because see, as, as you grow, uh, and your consciousness changes, you still never get to a place, at least I've not, where I think that I know the ultimate. There always seems to be more, there's higher room, levels. There's more room. As a matter of fact, when, when, I, hear people, when I hear people talk about, uh, you know, like they think that they have it all, uh, I, go, I, I go, I'm not sure I want to listen too much more to this person mm-hmm. because... Um, you know, unless they can demonstrate to me that they, uh, you know, that they are really, really, really out there, mm-hmm. and and people who are have that ability, and uh, it's not a doing ability; it's a presence ability. Right. Which you might know, you might. I had an experience like that with um, uh, the hugging saint. Her name's Ama. Yeah, Ama. She would she would be a person who was like that. The Just transmission her of energy in a moment. I yeah. knew it's, it was different yeah she's really out there yeah so for the most of us we have to keep working at it so Mm -hmm. in the morning i get up and the first thing i do is i go i'm here again (laughs) (laughs) what is it ground like groundhog day like bill murray yeah yeah, exactly (laughs) and i go all right so where can i share love today Hmm. that's my first question and then I go about my day. And is that like a meditation? It's just a... one sentence. Hmm. Takes two seconds. Right. You know, it's like, hi, Lord, where can I serve today? Show me where I can serve today. See, because in my mind, God and me were buddies. Okay. So I'm right. happy to see him. I get up in the morning. Hey, right. how right. you doing? How's it going? You know, how 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 are you doing with uh the volcanoes, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So then I I do my best to um, 
live every day and I, I have I have certain things that I like to do mm-hmm. so one of my uh, disciplines is that I like to I every day I have as a goal to make at least one person laugh that's a goal of mine okay so like for example this morning before we met I went and I got a haircut and the woman who was cutting my hair, a young woman, probably in her mid-twenties. You know, I've never seen her before. You go to, like, Supercuts? You don't, uh, have, a, you don't have a hairstylist that Well, your... I, I have someone that usually comes, but she's sick and so oh, on. Oh, got it. You know, so I, I, I went out and had it, did this this morning. And I've never been in this place before, and so this young woman, and she's cutting my hair. And, you know, what brings you here today? And I, you know, I tell her... And what do you do? <laughs> well, okay, here we go. <laughs> and so we start having a conversation. And when I have one of these conversations, I start out very slowly because I don't know, you know, what they're ready to hear or not. Sure. But then it got around to, well, what do you teach? <laughs> well, spiritual psychology. Really? That sounds so interesting. Tell me about that, you know. And uh-huh. So there goes the... But in that conversation... There are many things that I found where she would tell me something and I would say something about it and she'd start laughing. Mm. So already in our conversation today, you've laughed several times. Yeah. So I've got at least two going already today and it's only 2.30. Mission accomplished. So I'm, and I'm not done. You, know, you give yourself extra more credit people. for more? No, <laughs> yeah. I don't have to do this tomorrow now because I got three today. No, never, never. <laughs> it's always a new day. Right. Okay, so that's one thing. You you try to so that's one make thing. one person laugh. A second thing that I do is I always try to be uh, totally honest. Hmm. I always try to be totally supportive. I always uh, do my best to be uh, in my integrity. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are just things that. Uh, I also try to be very, um, I don't know how to put this one, uh, mindful of my time. Now, I do a lot of what people would, would probably think of as wasting time in different things, different little things I do. But to me, I'm not because... Wasting time, you mean... Well, I might, let's say I might, I might sit there and play a game of solitaire. But while I'm playing that game of solitaire, because my mind is focused on the cards, it's open for inspiration to come in. Hmm. So I always have a pad and a pencil or a pad and a pen right there. And so very often, that's what I'll do when I want to think. You'll play solitaire? I'll play solitaire. Okay. Or I want to be open to inspiration. Hmm. You do it with physical cards or do you do it on the computer? No, with physical cards. Physical cards. Because I have my own way of playing that. To me, the computers, there's something sterile about it. Yeah. I don't, I don't yeah. like that. There's something nice about the feel yeah. of the cards in your yeah. hand. Yeah. Um, um, so, for example, yesterday, you know Miranda, who, the lady who's uh, hearing challenged and has the, the hearing dog, Rumi. Oh, yeah. 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 So she just lives up, this, up the uh, hill about five minutes. And so her electricity was off for the day. So Mary and I said, well, why don't you come down here 
and you if you could sit outside because it was a nice day and the sun was beautiful you know we have uh uh you know you can get on the internet we'll plug you in and she came down and she had a wonderful time and so did Rumi the dog mm-hmm. so kind kind acts to other people mm-hmm. as much as i can uh and then uh, before i go to bed the the i have uh a, a little re- regime I go through called walking in the light, where I place things into the light. But the, mentally, or mentally, you mean you put something. No, no, mentally. Mentally, okay. Just do it all mentally. But the first thing I do is I lie down and I go. You know, I'm, I'm lying down. I go, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for today. What a great day. Because to me, every day is a great day. Right. You know, and then I, I go through this process of, you know, I want to put these things in the light and, you know, and USM and these things in the light. And, I, you know, and I, and everything I, like, like we do in class sometimes, mm-hmm. and, and everything we place into the light, I then <clears throat> take all of it and see it going up into spirit. And Lord, um, if you want me to do anything more tomorrow, Wake me up in the morning. I'm going to sleep now. <laughs> uh huh. And that's pretty much it. Are, are, is there anything that you keep track of to 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 um, you know? Because I know you have a physical workout that you do on a regular. I do that basis. every day. Uh-huh. I do that every day, and then once a week I have my trainer. You know, mm-hmm. and I go there like tomorrow morning. <laughs> where I do my famous plank. Yeah, know, right. And, You're up to like three, more than three minutes. Well, right? I'm, I'm up to a, a constant three. Every time I work with them now, I'm doing three. Uh-huh. Um, and where were you when you started? How, how long could you... When I first started, which was right after my heart event. So I've been, you know, th- that was just part of the routine that, you know, that was getting me back into physical shape. Mm-hmm. I could hold about 20 seconds. Wow. But, you know, again, I'm not a kid, so... Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think it'll probably be about another month, month and a half, I'll start testing, you know, I'll start going to three and a quarter, three and a half. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd love to see myself get up to five, but is that realistic? I does don't he, know. Does he ever put things on your back to help, you know, no. train you? No, it's hard enough just... You know, well, no, you, you could do shorter periods yeah. with like a on your back. Oh, I hear what you're saying. You know, you do like 20 seconds with a... No, I never thought of that. Interesting way to change it yeah. up. All right. I'll, uh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I, now, I wouldn't that. recommend him sitting on you. That might be a little much. No, that might be much. <laughs> that might but, be much. But gen- yeah. gentle, you know, gentle amounts. Yeah. So is, there, so is there anything in your day that you <clears throat> keep track of to make sure you're on track? Do you uh, have a tracking... I used to, but I really don't anymore. Mm-hmm. The, because there are so many things, you know, like I'm working on two classes now that are coming up and I, and I have, you know, my job is to revise the scripts and, and any new things that we want to include. And, uh, so there's always some of that to be done. So I'm always working on that. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, there are just things that I just have to do being in my position at USM. Mm -hmm. But I don't... As chief fun officer. I don't... As as chief fun officer, that's right. (laughs) But I don't... um, I I do. One thing I keep track of every morning is my weight. Ah, 
Okay. Keep track of my weight. Because more than anything else, I've learned that, uh, you know, and I, this, this may be something that you guys uh, teach over there and it may not, but I have found that how much I eat has more to do with whether I gain weight than typically than what I eat. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, I'm okay with, you know, with, I'm going to, for breakfast, I'm going to have, uh, you know, four Sundays and a, and a waffle. I don't mean that. Right. But I find, and I think age has something to do with this, uh, I just don't eat as much, period. Mm-hmm. And so typically, let's say if I go to a restaurant for lunch and have, let's say, steak and eggs, which I like to have in a sliced tomato and a blueberry muffin, I will wind up taking half of that home and having that at night. Mm-hmm. And that's my entire food intake for the day. Mm-hmm. I rarely eat lunch. Okay. I pretty much just eat two meals a day. No snacks? Uh, an apple, uh, maybe some walnuts. Um, you know, uh, every now and then I'll go into the supermarket and get a bunch of jelly beans and... Mm-hmm. You know, or, um, you know, that kind of, or I love, I love to have a piece of chocolate every now and then. Mm -hmm. I like cheese, but I find that, you know, I think one thing the heart event did for me, it got me really disciplined about how much of that kind of stuff I eat. Right. Right. And so I think, I think there's uh, some little, little spirit living inside of me that, that is like the heart monitor guy. And if I, if I go too much in that direction, he's going to say, yo, babe, right, right. we do not want to be going through that again. What do you find? Have you, have you looked back over your records of your weight and, lear- and learned anything? Or what do you find that that does? Is it just something that keeps your awareness on? It keeps my awareness on. It doesn't allow me to slide. Right. Because if I, if I see myself moving in a particular direction, uh, you know, I won't let that go too far before I get on it and I bring it back again. Right. I mean, like this morning, I think I'm four-tenths of a pound over my normal range. Mm-hmm. But that that's okay. I'm not worried about that. Right. Because uh-huh. you're going to have, you know, I mean, those of you that are, are, have listened to the podcast before know that, you know, you're going to have fluctuations in your weight sure. on a daily basis that are, you know, three pounds. Is, you know, you could have large... Yeah. Pretty large fluctuations. Yeah, you daily. can. I was surprised at that. Now, yeah. now typically because I relatively eat so little, uh, it's rare that I'll have more than a uh, half a pound fluctuation in a right. day. Right. One day to the next. Maybe after your hard workout days. Uh, well, I don't. You know, I don't. It's usually pretty stable these days. Right. Right. Usually pretty stable. Depends how much you sweat. But, but you know. When you have, uh, <clears throat> you know, something like a big event, like a triple bypass is a big event yeah. that took me a full year to totally recover. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, something inside, you know, says, let's not do that again. Right, right. And not just as words. Right. You know, it means it. You know? And so I, I'm pretty good about that. Well, Ron, thank you so much for spending this time and uh, talking about this subject that um, you're obviously so passionate about. So, I mean, your your, your life's work. And um, 
something that I've learned. I mean, I'm still learning. I'm still putting to practice. It's <laughs> funny. I, when I started USM, my intention was to grow and build the strength of my relationship with my wife, who t- tends to be the, the um, triggering event on a regular basis. It t- tends to be more frequent, more, less frequently now than before. But I was looking for a result in those first two years that would indicate that I was making progress. Um, and I didn't really didn't, I, it didn't really happen for me, but I'm, but, but it is, I don't know if she, I should probably check with her, uh, how I'm doing, but in my opinion, in my mind that ha- I've made progress, I'm making progress. Yeah. So, um, if I was going to give you a piece of advice, advice to try something, uh, you just as an experiment, you uh-huh. know, you could Uh-oh. like run it. <laughs> Run it for a couple of weeks and see what happens. I should I should shut the. Yeah. Hey, you yeah. know we're out of time, Ron. Yeah. <laughs> so, so sorry. <laughs> Here it is. Yeah. Assume, assume that no matter what she says to you, anything that she says to you that is disturbing to you, your uh, the discipline is, I am simply going to accept that and not. My, and and just I'm going to use that as uh, oh I've just been presented with an opportunity to maintain my peace right and to not re- react in any negative way whatsoever other than maybe thank you sounds sounds um, it I'm telling you I could tell you from my own experience e- it sounds so easy in yeah. one on one hand and it sounds like mount everest on the other hand well see it's because <laughs> your ego doesn't like that approach right right but you might be very surprised all right i'll uh i'll report back i'll <laughs> let right. you know how that went all right. <laughs> all right well thank you again and i appreciate your time and you and, and um if people want to find you um do you you're not do you are you on social media are you no. anywhere are you findable well i try i it's not that I don't like to be findable. It's that uh, if I get too many people writing to me, then I can't really respond in the way that I want to. Right. And so I, I try to keep it to a minimum. I don't go on social media mm-hmm. and things of that nature. Okay. But if people want to want to learn more about your teaching, they oh. will go to University of Santa Monica. Yeah, just go to University of Santa Monica. Edu. Absolutely. And go, or go to Amazon and buy your books. Buy the books. They're both on Amazon. Remembering the Light Within and Loyalty to Your Soul. Yeah, and we'll, we'll have all those things in the show notes as well. Yeah. But, um, yeah, thank you again. Thank you, Andy. This is fun. Yeah. The Whole Life Podcast is produced by our podcast team, Winslow Jenkins, Becca Borowski, and Ernie Hurtado. You can find all of our episodes, links, and complete show notes at wholelifechallenge.com forward slash podcast. The way that I've found is the best way to listen to podcasts is to subscribe so that episodes automatically get delivered right to your mobile device. You can do that in any podcast app on your phone. And hey, if you like the podcast, please do me a favor. Go to iTunes and give it a five-star rating and recommend it to your friends. I'm Andy Petronic, and thanks so much for listening.